0: My topic this morning is the acceptance house. I already mentioned the concept that we are going to start from scratch. But before I do, I'd like to go back a little bit to reflect to three criticisms of the real Bill's doctrine. One criticism says that a real bill is fraudulent because it promises something which it cannot do and doesn't do. And I believe that what we have covered so far would give an adequate answer to this criticism. The real bill promises payment in gold. and the criticism is that this promise is fraudulent. My answer to the criticism is that there is a confusion here between two concepts. One is a banknote on the one hand and a gold certificate on the other in the United States before 1933 when uh, Roosevelt confiscated gold coins and other forms of gold of the citizenry. There were two types of paper money, well more than two but let's concentrate on these two in circulation. Uh, One was banknote proper, which more specifically was called a Federal Reserve note, and it did uh, have a legend which referred to gold. And the other type of paper money, which was also in circulation, was gold certificates that was issued by the Treasury. It had nothing to do with the Federal Reserve. It also promised payment in gold to bearer on demand. Now, The distinction between the two is very important. A gold certificate had a legend on it which read this is to certify that uh, so much gold had been deposited, the Treasury of the United States, and is payable to bearer on demand. Period. So this was earmarked gold payable to bearer. The banknote. Uh, And by implication, a real bill, because the assets behind a bank note are not gold. It's nowhere stated that the gold had been deposited and is held at the federal Reserve bank payable. This is not what it stated. Everybody knew what a real bill was, and that the asset backing the banknote, in this case the Federal Reserve uh, note, is a real bill which is a maturing good on its way to the consumer maturing into gold because it's understood that at the end of its journey when the maturing good reached the market it will be sold for the gold coin of the consumer, which then would liquidate all the liabilities which arose on the way during the process of production. So there are two different concepts, two different promises involved. And the confusion I refer to which the critiques of the Real Bill's doctrine are guilty of is that they by implication suggest that a real bill is just another gold certificate. And that's not the case. It does not say that gold has been earmarked, deposited, held, uh, uh, the bank, treasury, wherever, and uh, is available for immediate delivery. It just said that Subject to business conditions, the bank will pay gold uh, to bearer. So there's a difference. There's a difference. It's the uh, banknote per se it is not a fraudulent instrument. <laughs> if it follows the description as we have gone through it, there that, that is production, the consumer demand has to be fast enough, has to be ninety-one days blah blah blah, and at the end of the process the consumer surrenders the gold coin which then so in other words there is no fraud involved per se. That's the way I look at it. I'm trying to persuade you now. If you are not persuaded, that's partly my fault, but I I am urging you to think about this. Uh, you know, I mean, I understand psychologically we are all prejudiced about banknotes because so much fraud really has been committed, deliberately, and as a result a lot of people suffered great economic pain in uh, Europe, certainly in practically all the countries in Europe. And in North America, if not so far, this may not be so far obvious, but we are running into that situation that a lot of people will suffer because of fraud involving banknotes and various promises and so on. My point is that it doesn't have to be that way. There is a way to run a paper money system, uh, uh, let's say real bill based monetary system and if it's done properly no fraud and no economic suffering at the end. This is my position and uh, I'm not trying to conceal it from you that I've been attacked uh, quite viciously by other hard money advocates uh, who say that uh, I I completely misjudge the situation because it is defective uh, from the beginning; it's conceived as a fraud and perpet- perpetrated as a fraud, etc., etc. So I thought that, in the interest of truth and science, this issue has to be clarified. and That's why I am uh, putting it to you. In fact, I'm asking you to help me To uh, if you have any lingering doubt then uh, this is the time and place to bring it out and perhaps we can pursue it longer. So there I expect comments and criticism from you during this particular period if you don't quite agree with that. So that was one uh, area where the real bills doctrine was criticized. Well, of course, we haven't finished yet our course, and the missing part is how banks were born, and you see, at that stage, really, we haven't gotten very much further the point that real bills can circulate on their own wings, and under their own power, according to Adam Smith, and uh, that has been tested. In particular, it was tested in England, in the uh, Manchester area, where there was a big manufacturing uh, activity, uh, especially cloth and uh, 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 made of wool. Uh, various stages, weaver, spinner, etc., all that, and uh, it was very important because it was the, uh, the uh, stuff. What's the uh, wool? It's not called Yard. cloth. No uh, cloth. When it's made of wool, you don't call it cloth, do Gabby? you? Do you call it cloth? Well, if it's well, if it's made of cotton, you call it cloth. I know, but what about? Uh, Gabardine.
1: You
0: think knit is to
2: cloth, cloth. Uh huh. It is
0: cloth. So that that was the mainstay of the industry in the Manchester, area, Lancashire. The, uh, actually, they were started from the sheep farm. Sheep were uh, sheep were grazing, and then uh, they uh, uh, the sheep farmer of the wool, the wool had to be washed, refined, blah, 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 and then went to the spinner, uh, weaver, and so on, and the uh, product came out, and it was to a large extent exported, so uh, this made England uh, very prosperous, this particular industry. And it's a historical fact, and Mises himself um, acknowledges it, that uh, the bills, the real bills drawn on the various phases of that production actually circulated without any banks. Uh, in fact, Mises mentions that, that bill circulation was phased out only after the Bank of England opened a branch in the city of Manchester so he can even put a date on it uh, (laughs) so the bank uh, presented itself and then of course it could elbow out everybody else from the business and we know the consequences but the fact is that real bills do circulate and uh, they have this uh, dynamics and so on. It's all there. We don't have to bring in banks. But even when you bring in the bank at the end, because historically that's what happened in uh, practically all the, ca- in, in all the known cases, I would say even at that point there is no need immediately to make a charge of fraud. At least in my opinion. Because it is possible to, to run the banking system uh, on such a commercial basis that there is an underlying asset in the form of a real bill which the bank takes and advances the loan to the producer and keeps these short term instruments in portfolio until they mature and and so on and if the bank ever runs into problems has to make quick unexpected payments no problem because although the real bill is not a gold certificate very far from it but the nature of the bill market backing it up is such that the bank can turn around and sell it with virtually uh, no loss or if there is a small loss the bank can just absorb this is a business expense. The bank is a business like any other so it has to have capital and uh, capital is there to uh, provide for uh, uh, Adversity in the course, which could arise in the course of business. So, uh, all right. The second criticism which uh, arose is that the uh, fractional reserve banking system is fraudulent. From it was conceived. as a fraudulent uh, business and it just got worse and worse and eventually it collapsed. Now, um, I have to take exception because I object to the term fractional reserve because it suggests that the reserves which the bank keeps to cover its liabilities is uh, is uh, not complete. Part of it may be covered with gold but another part is not. Now that's not the case, at least not in the situation which I have been trying to explain to you Uh, in this lecture series because one part of the liabilities of the bank, sure, is gold covered, but only a part. And the other part is also covered, although not by gold, but gold, uh, but by real bills which mature into gold coins. And these are all short term bills, so in time the bank will have the gold. Uh, uh, the As always, there is a risk involved, but even if you have gold uh, coined reserves for the banknotes, you have a risk because. There could be a fire which which, uh, does damage, or there could be robbery, great bank robbery, whatever. So uh, the point is that the reserves are there. They are not fractional. They are full reserves, but part of the reserves are real bills maturing into gold coins. So that's a distinction which has to be made. And if you went to court and made a charge that the bank issue uh, bank uh, note is fraudulent because it promises to pay gold uh, just like a gold certificate does, and it does not have the gold to title to the gold. so it issues more liabilities than it has access to show for it than. A reasonable judge would dismiss the charge as uh, with one without substance, because there is an obvious difference between a gold certificate and a bank note. The bank note does not state that the gold has been deposited and is there and is available. It has to be looked at dynamically. There is a flow, a flow which matures into gold and. The bank is uh, standing ready to pay out that gold when it flows in. uh, So the third one, uh, the third objection is that there is not enough gold in existence. We are not talking about the bank having control. We just say globally there is not enough gold to back all the uh, uh, liabilities represented by the circulating real bills so the whole system is constructed as a fraud um, and and uh, and i think this uh, charge is Uh, based on a a misunderstanding. A credit system, uh, whether it's bills or bonds, is not working on the assumption that there exists physically that much above-ground gold in the world, uh, matching every dollar of gold liability by uh, the same amount of physical gold somewhere. This has never been uh, suggested and it's not even necessary and if anybody wanted to create a system like that it just won't fly because that's not how a gold-based system works. In fact there is no rigid limit of the amount of credit which can be built safely on a uh, given amount of gold. There is no limit, because there, it depends on many uh, things, on how fast goods move, how fast uh, bank uh, transfers can move, uh, if there's an innovation, which, or, or the electronic communication comes in, that's obviously going to make uh, bank transfers also uh, faster and once it is faster then a smaller amount of gold can back up the same amount of credit. Now again, you if you hear that for the first time you may have <laughs> lingering doubts that this is a pipe dream and it's not the way and so on, there has to be just as much gold. But you just have to think about this and study it a little more closely. If you want uh, to uh, have the whole world trade gold based on a one-to-one basis, it just won't work for many reasons. One is the rigidity, that the world trade is something elastic. It sometimes expands, sometimes (coughs) contracts in a natural way uh, following the Uh, cycle of the seasons of the year or following any other cycle which there may be or simply the fact that the consumers could decide to save more and spend less or vice versa. And accordingly the uh, total volume of the world trade will expand or contract and this is natural, there has to be provision for the flexibility to accommodate it and therefore a rigid gold reserve is not the answer. There has to be a, a more elastic part of <laughs> purchasing power which will take that change into account and. Will adjust to the demand. Uh, so the criticism uh, of the real builds doctrine on the basis that it promises gold, but a much greater amount of gold than there exists or there is available it doesn't hold water. Because only the maturing part. I mean, uh, we, had, we were talking about the social circuit capital and we even compared it to a river which is flowing into the ocean, the ocean being the consumption where the goods <coughs> disappear. And we compared it to the salinity of the water which could get higher as the uh, molecules of the river, water molecules, are approaching the ocean. So uh, what we are really saying is that this gold uh, convertibility applies to the end of that journey, when the salinity is already high enough, the proximity of the maturing good is close enough to the ocean and uh, there is no suggestion or need for the whole amount of semi-finished maturing goods should be matched one-to-one by gold. It, It just wouldn't work. Or If you try to make it work, it would put the production process into a straight jacket which would not benefit the consumer. So this is a natural uh, development, and uh, I think the last word is that there is no fraud the, the, it doesn 't mean that there is no fraud ever or in any under any circumstances, but at this stage, there is no fraud in fact, now i uh, that I just filled that gap, we start uh our subject discussing the acceptance house that's the first time when fraud where where deliberate fraud does in fact occur. So uh, yesterday I already mentioned that the uh, uh, acceptance house is one of two roots from which banking grew up. The other being the discount house. And we have investigated the discount house as much as we could and we came to the conclusion that the discount house need not and in most cases did not involve fraud. It was a straightforward business which uh, was built on the ingenuity of the cloth merchant who realized that if he understood how real bills emerge in commerce and in trade uh, when the semi-finished goods become finished goods and then uh, are being sold to the consumer through the retail outlets in, in that process there is no need to assume fraud because uh, there will be people tradesmen uh, businessmen who see the possibilities how they can make that flow of credit on the one hand and flow of goods on the in the opposite direction how they can make that work more efficiently and and that's all for the good and everybody Benefits. This is not the same uh, with the acceptance house. And uh, I'm not going to do hair splitting here and investigate whether it, it can also be done properly and without fraud, because I uh, have, from my studies, of the history and uh, also the theory of the acceptance business is that in in most cases it was fraudulent and I, and I don't even see the need to uh, improve it because sooner or later it will uh, become fraudulent. The uh, Forces, economic forces, present are such that the acceptance business is not a well-conceived business. That's my impression. But again, it's open to argument, and if you uh, have objection, I'll be very happy to to uh, listen to it and uh, discuss it any further. But there are good guys and there are bad guys and the good guys are <laughs> involved in the discount house business and the bad guys are involved in the acceptance business. This is a broad uh, sweeping statement uh, which uh, may be subject to correction as far as there are exceptions as always there are small exceptions here and there but I think by and large this might be uh, a, 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 an acceptable position uh, that we when we analyzed the banking system as it grew up and as it uh, uh, came to control our lives, which we uh, of course object to, and we would like to free ourselves uh, see ourselves free once more then. Uh, uh, if we approach it in this sense that uh, the banking business has two roots in uh, historically from which it was being nourished, there was a good root and there was a bad root. This discount this house, except so just like in the Bible, in the Garden of Eden, the uh, and, uh, there were two trees, the uh, tree of the good knowledge is that uh, is that uh, the word the bible uses and the, the, the tree of, the, of the bad knowledge in in the bible, the garden of Eden yes. God gave Adam and Eve the garden of yes. Eden, and there were two uh, two the fruit of the tree trees. of, the tree of good.
3: trees. I think it was the tree of life and the tree yeah. of the
0: knowledge of good. good and evil. Good, good, no, good and yeah, right. Tree of life. One, so, one
3: was tree of life, one was
0: just the tree yeah, of I, I, I just find this analogy interesting. You might say the Bible is also an oversimplification. You might say the uh, what I am suggesting here uh, that the good guy is the discount uh, uh, house, bad guy, the acceptance of that is also an oversimplification. Could be, but perhaps uh, we just have to have some simplification when we study, because if we try to study reality in its original complexity, that's not going to work. You just have to, at one stage or another, simplify things. Yes?
2: I'm not sure that I know what an acceptance house is okay i
0: I introduced the concept yesterday. I'm going to repeat okay. repeat it okay uh, and this is just an introduction. put the uh, thing into a framework. good guys, bad guys, right? <laughs> <It's> like Bush <laughs> Now, the end product was bad. we know the yeah. banks. but why was it corrupted? okay. Now, the Acceptance House grew out of an idea which came to, uh, as I describe it in this uh, second uh, greatest story ever told, the idea occurred to the baker. Uh, uh, Well, actually, uh, this is a little background, okay? So uh, perhaps before I talk about the acceptance of house, I just talk about the uh, this uh, uh, particular little trick which the baker, uh, the idea which he had, and then he invited the miller
2: to be his accomplice. Um, they purpose- Is this his- the cloth merchant or the hmm? the baker? Or the cloth merchant? Are we are we missing oh, no, the no, 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 no. Well. well
0: uh, remember the original yeah. four protagonists yeah. had been, were, were in the cloth business, okay. but then I I also introduced the, the bread business. Okay, okay. So we are now talking about the bread. I'm not okay. suggesting all bakers are crooks and all cloth merchants are angels. Yeah. I'm not <laughs> suggesting that. But it just so happened that I had to dress up sure. an abstract idea with some concrete uh, figures and uh, roles and. And protagonists and antagonists and what have well, you so the, this is
2: the baker now well they work with yeast they make things rise bigger than they are so
0: <laughs> all right you can you can color it and dress it up <laughs> but you know here we have to keep it a little bit simple because if it's too complicated it would lead us too far. So, uh, this is now a reading, as it turns out, chapter 10, but it doesn't matter because I, I have skipped and. Uh, what was
4: the idea of the
0: baker? Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm doing that. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about that. Okay. <clears throat> so, this is now a reading from the greatest second greatest story ever told. One day the manager of the discount house noticed that the bid ask spread appeared in the trading of the of one particular real bill and this was the Miller on Baker bill. So in other words when the miller delivered the flour Billed the baker and the baker accepted it, and uh, the miller took the bill and put it into circulation. And normally, the real bills traded at no spread or very, very little spread. And at the acceptance house, uh, uh, the uh, manager noticed that there is something going on here, something fishy because. This particular bill showed an unusually wide spread. So he was keeping a watchful eye on, on the trading of this particular bill and uh, when it widened further then he just suspended trading. He said "Well, we have to wait and see uh, the situation should clarify itself. We don't know what's happening so for the time being he did not buy or sell, he just froze the trading of this particular bill. Uh, so at this point I might just go out of my way just a very little bit and explain why the spread should be either zero or very very small. Well I would say it's never really zero but it could be so small that uh, people won't bother collecting, uh, they won't bother to quote keep quoting two prices instead of one, so uh, you know, uh, simplifying matters, uh, we might say the spread is zero but in fact it's never zero, it's just so small that it's negligible and people do tend to neglect it. So why is that the case? Why should it be the case? And the answer is, if you think of it, is that the bill, the real bill, is an appreciating asset. It is worth more day after day because it is approaching maturity. So remember, the bill before maturity is subject to discount. That's why we talk about discount house and discounting bills and so on. So it starts from a value less than the actual face value. But the face value is the amount which is payable at maturity. So how can that be? It can be only if day after day after day the the value of the bill in the bill market at the discount house is increase. A little bit, but it is. There is a definite tendency for increase. And because of this appreciating asset feature of the bill, it is very often possible that you bought a bill, turned around, and sold it at the same price, which is normally not possible. Neither is it possible for commodities, nor is it possible for most financial assets such as bonds for instance. it, it uh, uh, Bonds are not an appreciating asset and if you bought a bond and change your mind and want to sell it right away, you have to absorb a certain amount of loss because the ask-bid-spread in the bond market quotation prices at which The market maker buys and market maker sells is not zero; it's positive. So that's the reason. I just wanted to put that in that we are not making a mythology out of real bills and say that this is something, uh, you know, uh, unnatural. No, it's very natural. That's the reason. It's an appreciating asset, Uh, and it's uh, appreciating for a very good uh, reason because. Uh, I don't want to repeat the whole thing but we have been through this that uh, how the discount originated that there was this uh, uh, possibility that if uh, uh, somebody wanted to prepay his liability he, he would do it he had enough gold to Prepaid, but he said well, I'm not obliged to do that so I will do it only for a consideration if uh, somebody gives me the discount and he tried Alright, so we don't have to go through this again. So there it was this problem at uh, the discount house. Uh, the manager wanted to investigate what was going on uh, with this Miller on Baker bill which developed a spread, an unexpected spread which was not at all natural, which was unnatural, and indicated that the trouble may be brewing somewhere. So, it turned out that there was indeed a conspiracy between the Miller and the Baker. The baker was the smart guy and he said that, oh, gee, I uh, heard uh, that there is a bad wheat crop in large regions and so on. Uh, He put two and two together and came to the conclusion that the wheat price is going to go up. Fine, let's profit by it. This had nothing to do with his own business which was baking and turning flour into bread. But he thought that why not? It's a good sideline and he wanted to speculate in the wheat market. So he went to the miller and told him about this uh, possibility and they both agreed that they want to do it. So. Uh, The miller had this extra storage capacity to put the grain in and rather than grinding all of it into flour and uh, producing the bread and so on, kept part of the wheat in his bins, arrested the flow of wheat to the market which was his right to do, but what was not his right to do or their right to do is to pretend that the wheat was still flowing and they were issued as a conspiracy, you see the two parties had to be involved the two parties, both the baker and the miller they pretended that the wheat was flowing to the market, baked into bread, the flour baked. And so, and they kept issuing bills, real bills against that idled wheat. And this they didn't have the right to do. Because uh, the whole real bill circulation is based on the axiom that the merchandise is moving to the ultimate consumer. not only is it moving, but it has to move with a minimum speed. So that in 91 days, the merchandise sold and consumed. So if you pretend on your document that this thing is moving, when in fact you have arrested its movement, then you committed a fraud. That's one thing. But the other and more important uh, thing was that uh the uh uh no, what what was I going to say here?
4: Uh the uh the big, the big difference between the ask the us and hmm?
2: the the big difference between the
4: asked and uh the,
0: difference. the uh Yeah, that was a consequence. Okay, but now I'm I'm pointing out why is this fraudulent to arrest the movement of merchandise while pretending that it's moving. Okay, well, one is a lie. There's a lie involved. Uh, But there is another one which has to do with the fact that uh, that you finance your speculation. All these conspirators are speculating on the wheat uh, price. There's nothing to do. Uh, sorry, there's nothing wrong with speculation per se. What? we criticize is the way you finance your speculation. Now, when you issue bills pretending that the wheat is moving when it's in fact held in storage in the expectation highest uh, price, you are financing your holding of wheat uh, throwing all the risk to society
1: they're
0: capturing the social circulating capital for their own benefit Yeah,
1: I think that's the terminology you were using yeah,
0: but the finance the risk now you see, fine, you speculate you incur risk and you're aware of that risk and you're willing to shoulder it, that's fine but if you try to put the risk on society that is definitely wrong and that's what's happening and that's what we should see clearly when this conspiracy to put in fictitious real bills into circulation pretending excuse me pretending that the wheat is moving when in fact it's held in storage in the hope of higher wheat price then what is happening is that you finance uh, your speculation uh, illegitimately because you are throwing the risk on the shoulders of society and, and, and that's not proper, that's a fraud and this is wrong. And it's very dangerous also as, as uh, the further unfolding of the story should. That's stunning, <laughs> I, I,
2: uh, Professor. I have to say that that really is is stunning. To me, it's it's um, uh, new thinking. It uh, it points out a uh, a problem where, and, and in such a way that we have never viewed it, or at least collectively viewed it that way, that the uh, private profit. Um, in this case, comes at, uh, at the expense of the public good um, and uh, we've, we've come to uh, accept the fact that uh, private sp- uh, profit, speculation, speculative profit at the expense of the public good is, well, it's got to come from somewhere, you mm-hmm. know, and, th- and so be it. That's the marketplace. But that's merely the marketplace as it is today. That in the fully functioning marketplace that you described before, when real bills were in circulation before the banking system, it didn't happen, mm. and that's 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 the greatest difference. And it fully functioned with because it was the market was to the collective good that's of the of the social body.
0: Yeah, and uh, and uh, the speculation included that because yes. speculation has a role to play. Uh, speculation helps. To eliminate the wide swings in the market, uh, some smart speculators anticipate correctly a future shortage, so they are buying before the knowledge becomes widely dissipated, and they they are paid for that. It's a service. And in the Bible, there is the uh, example of Joseph, <coughs> who. Uh, read the dream of the Pharaoh uh, about the seven uh, uh, lean, here. Uh, uh, seven fat uh, cows, and the seven lean cows, and the uh, lean cows devoured. And and he predicted the sh- physical shortage of grain, and suggested to the Pharaoh that he should. Uh, buy up the cheap. That was speculation. And it served society because it saved a lot of suffering when the shortages really turned out and so on. So speculation is uh, an organic part of the uh, of uh, the economic activity. Uh, it's, uh, it's beneficial.
3: Uh, agricultural speculation, yes. I'm trying to grab on to the principle here, and I think I am, but uh, I think you're implying that the dishonesty ultimately is a disconnect uh, between the use of a short term instrument, the 91 day the note, and applying that to a long term. Uh. Is that can I, is that a fair no, no,
0: no, because it could be, it, all this could happen within 91 days or outside of 91 you that's are blind, not right
3: though I thought that, that the dishonesty was the extension of that period um, beyond 91 I,
0: I am calling yeah. attention to the way of finance. You are a speculator, <coughs> it's a legitimate business and you have the knowledge to do it, and you take the risks. Fine. Nothing to criticize not about. about but You're not saying anything no, about terms?
3: No, no,
0: no, because there are examples for both. Okay. Short-term, uh, what's longer-term. What's the dishonesty,
3: then, if it doesn't apply to terms? Uh, and what's the burden that's put, put on society through the act?
0: Okay, the way to finance. Now, if you speculate which means you buy up supplies while they are plentiful because you anticipate shortages when you can benefit uh, from a higher price. This is fine, but you have to worry about financing your inventory, speculative inventory, because that's more than what uh, society is prepared to carry in the normal course of consumption. You, you, you see something which yeah. nobody else sees. Okay. So you want to finance your inventory. And if you do it out of your own pocket, fine. You are above reproach. Absolutely. And if you can convince an, another guy who has the money that he should chip in and you split the profits, that's fine too. What is objectionable and what is fraudulent is if you use the uh, built-in facilities in social relations, which the bill market certainly (laughs) is, which the real bill certainly is, you use that for the wrong purpose, to derive private advantage from a publicly provided service, Mm -hmm. you see? That's that's what we are criticizing. It okay, does it doesn't have anything to do Thank with you. the term. Okay. It still
3: all clears in 91 days. If 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 I the baker still cleared in 91 days in the goals and system, uh, see that? Oh, then all the bill bills performance. It's you know. Uh, I think I see another way of putting it. Uh, maybe uh, Frank. To, uh, to I I would say the dishonesty mm-hmm. is if I now bought that real bill from the uh, baker, thinking. That I was getting a very low risk instrument yeah. because uh, a good was moving up in the exactly. market. And yeah. were I to know that it was actually I was financing someone's speculation and that something might go wrong in a speculation, I might get nothing. Yeah. On, that that's the fraud yeah. that you're using. A, that you're using a low. You're masquerading as low risk. Yeah, you explained it very well. You answered but my question. I,
4: but I am questioning the utility of, of speculation because if still uh, there are many goods and you are uh, buying it and put it into the warehouse uh, then the shortage will arrive uh, quicker than than normally than without uh, my my buying up the goods and if uh, the the shortcut shortage will come then uh, i am abusing of of this uh, i don't know knowledge that I, i knew there would be a, a shortage, but the goods are not uh, um, uh, more than with that. The goods are not more. If I wouldn't have bought it up, then the shortage, shortage would have come later. And uh, the people just could uh, buy it up at, at, at the price as it was, while it, while it was still available. Well,
0: obviously we disagree on that, but this is not really our topic here. I don't mind commenting on this, and my comments are as follows. Uh, here is a speculator who who sees something which practically nobody else sees. It could be you because he made a special study, he's more of an expert. It could be that he's just uh, Divining this, doesn't matter how, but he sees something. He sees shortages coming. Shortages are not there at the time when he buys. In fact, there is an surplus. Yes. That's why the price is low. Remember, he buys
4: yes. when the price but is he, low. But if he doesn't buy it up, then the shortage will come later. Uh,
0: no. If he doesn't buy it up, the price would even fall more. And remember, when the price falls abruptly, it hurts the producer. When the price rises abruptly, it hurts the consumer. So somebody is getting hurt when the price is volatile. And all the speculator does, if he does it properly, is to tamper. He he cannot probably eliminate the price fluctuation. That's the nature of the markets. But certainly the abruptness of price changes he does and that's very obvious. He buys before the the shortage so it's not obvious. There's abundance and that's all other people see. Too much. They are not interested. They know that there's plenty. But he knows that this is coming to an end the speculator does he sees that so when he buys he he um, his buying has the result that the price does not fall more or it does not fall so precipitously and that's the point that's the whole point
1: could I add, just address this please? I have something to say. It's not, not just the, this little, this is only the core, the ripple spread. If the prices go lower and lower and lower, farmers go bankrupt, farmers uh, plant less because they're not being paid for their product. The consumers use up the, the stuff and throw it away, they waste it. In Russia, they used to use bread as, as toys for the kids because it was subsidized, the price was so cheap. So there's a big distortion in the market. Then when the shortage comes, those farmers who are out of business cannot supply. So there's a bigger shortage. The price goes up, and who suffers the most? The poor people who don't have the money. So the speculator, by maintaining the price, helps to maintain the supply and protects the poorest people by having the supply available when the prices are going higher.
0: Yeah, this is exactly right. As, As Rudy points out, it's only half of the loaf when you see what happens when he buys, but the other half is when the shortage does in fact materialize and the price jumps and there would be no way to satisfy that demand. if the speculator did not have the extra storage. Now of course he will charge more than he paid for it because th- that was the whole thing. But people will be happy to pay because already everybody sees the shortage and therefore they know that they just need, uh, to, it could be foodstuff as you say, but it could be something else. So. Uh, as I say this is not my topic here but if you if you think about this you will agree that uh, a lot of envy goes into the criticism of speculators and and I don't think that is right. You have to address the problem what he does wrong and, and that is the answer. It's not speculation per se what is wrong but the way to finance your inventories, speculative inventories. By the way, the speculator can also lose, right? Because the uh, shortage he anticipated may not materialize for various reasons. And if that's the case, then the speculator is going to lose. But he's well prepared to do that if he financed his uh, speculation in the right way and throwing the risk on society is definitely not the right way because then society suffers for the foolish uh, idea or or just a misstep of the speculator. I mean we all make missteps, the speculator does too he doesn't have to be foolish, He, he knows that nine out of ten speculations he has will succeed and he is fully prepared to meet the loss on the one which, where he, he, he loses money, where he was wrong. So that's part of, of his business. But the point is that in the case there is a loss, he has no right to shove the loss to society. Has, no, this is not right. Uh, the, the whole bill market the, Real Bill circulation is designed to finance a very essential public service to supply the consumer with the most urgently demanded goods, foodstuff and others. And For that purpose society developed a system, the Bill, uh, the Real Bill system which is a wonderful way of uh, reducing the amount of capital. If you are a tradesman, whether it's the spinner or the weaver, you have to have capital and a large part of that capital is circulating capital, which could be very expensive to finance. Now the bill market makes this financing much easier because you can finance your uh, circulating capital through the low discount rate and if if the underlying good moves too slowly you, uh, you can blame the consumer for it, but then you have no choice but you calculate you have to carry a uh, higher capital because you have to pay the higher interest rate to finance your inventory. but that's the way it is. as society does have this over need to finance essential goods, foodstuff, whatever else, which the consumption pattern of which is very uh, regular, predictable, and there is no need to finance it through expensive ways such as interest rates, long-term, whatever. So society developed this Spontaneously. Nobody forced people to accept bills. Everything is spontaneous in this business. So the idea is to reduce the amount of capital which the providers of these essential goods uh, have to have and this succeeds, this uh, effort succeeded because this country is normally very very low in comparison interest rate and uh, however society has to be on its guards not to allow abuses of this it's a privilege if you happen to be in the production line of something which the consumer demands uh, urgently and the consumer depends on it in an essential way but uh, uh, there are possibilities to abuse it and one typical way to abuse this uh, social institution, the bill market, bill trading, is Uh, speculation. The speculator may think that I am the guy, I know more and so on and therefore I have the right and tries to throw his weight around, but that's wrong. He has to be humble, he has to realize that he is running a risk and he he should be able to balance risk and reward on his own books without uh, Uh, involving uh, a social institution which was not designed for that purpose. Okay, how are we with time? Okay. Now, as this story unfolds here, you will get your copy and you can read it, the speculation ended in fiasco. For some reason, the uh, wheat price didn't rise or didn't rise as much as they were hoping that it would. And therefore, as a result, there was a a multitude of these uh, uh, Miller on Baker bills. And then they ended up with a surplus which nobody wanted, and and, uh, they just had to feed it into the thing. But as a result, uh, there were losses. And the losses were borne by Public at large. Yes.
1: Could you explain why the
0: spread got
1: bigger? Because that was yeah. the red flag, and I think that's so important.
0: Yeah, to understand. yeah, uh, th- yeah. That's a very good point because because <laughs> it shows that nature has a built-in uh, warning signal, right? So we agree that there w- were more bills. Uh, Miller on Baker bills put into circulation by the conspirators than there was need for. Because the uh, the extra inventory of wheat which was in storage was not moving. So by that amount there were there was a an excess overflow of Miller on Baker Bills. Now, when a market develops a surplus, then the, uh, the price is, tends to fall, right? But here we we are in the bill market situation where there are a lot of people who make it their business to check things out. And they realize that this is not a natural thing. It's not like there is more wheat which has to be sold whatever price it may fetch. This is something which is not natural, which is Artificial, which is manipulated, so they will stand back, even though the price at which they could buy that bill is lower. They are not buying; they just stand aside. They don't understand, and they think this is wrong. You know that, uh, in other words. These people, these bill traders in the bill market, see that they are more of a certain type of bill. Then that's their reaction. They are not buying, even if the price is falling. You see? So, withdrawing their offer to buy, the spread, there's still the same amount of bills which people want to sell but the, buy, the number of buyers is thinned out by that effect which I'm explaining and that, not, that is going to make the spread wider I don't know if uh, this is... Okay, I understand the, the experts who are who maybe they
1: balance the bread sales with the wheat, there's more wheat than bread yeah. Through the market somehow, so you say there's a, there's a yeah. balance of something. I
0: guess they are not aware that there is a conspiracy. They are not aware. All, all they see is what's going on in the bill market, yeah. and, they, and they just watch the volume of these bills to flow through the market. They say there's something, something fishy here. This is not. Yeah, yeah. They have an extra. Uh, ordinary sense of smell. This is this is not right. So they stand aside waiting for clarification and sooner or later it will come. So the speculation ended in a fiasco. As a result, whoa that's important, the maturing bills, because at the same time of course these bills do mature. The wheat is sitting in the bin, not moving at all, and the bill matures. And it's supposed to be paid out of the gold coin of the consumer. But there's no consumer because nobody consumes the wheat as it is. And therefore, uh, the only possibility is for the conspirators is to roll over their maturing bills. In other words... In in other words, when the bill matures, they draw a new bill, a fresh bill, with a new maturity date, 91 days later, on the same wheat which is still in storage. Now that violates an absolute law of Uh, real bills, that you never, ever, under no circumstances are supposed to roll over. That's an absolute, and uh, uh, although I didn't devote a separate separate chapter to this, but please make a note. This is an absolute no-no. There is no exception to it. You can you can argue with uh, uh, with sickness in the family or uh, meteors uh, raining, widows and orphans. Yeah, uh, widows and orphans. orphans. There is no exception because that is an absolute violation. No exceptions, no excuses. You just have to pay. So. That is where the thing can go wrong, and it does go wrong in in many cases, and and it has the consequences. And by the way, it's also inflation. This is how inflation starts, but let's not go into that. So This was a very serious violation of the statutes of the bill market because the limitation of 91 days on the maturity of bills is absolute. Under no circumstances must the bill on the same good be redrawn and put back into circulation. In the meantime, the bill market grew less accommodating, so while all this happened the uh, people became more suspicious and they didn't buy as easily uh, they checked things out more closely than they did before. So as the fraudulent Miller & Baker bills were in addition to the regular ones supporting the supply of the consumer with bread, that is a merchandise that did indeed move, the bid-ask spread appeared, <laughs> as, as uh, we have explained. When the Discount House suspended trading in the Miller and Baker bills conspirators were squeezed, financially squeezed in order to extricate themselves from uh, their situation they threw their grain on the market. They were squeezed, they had to have ready cash. So what to do? Well, there is the grain, so let's sell it. But that grain was extra, which was not needed. If, if. The real shortage would have developed; it would have been needed. But as the speculation uh, failed, uh, it wasn't needed. So the extra supply of grain on the grain market depressed uh, the price of, say, wheat in this case. Okay. They forced this was a forced sale of an abnormal quantity of wheat which temporarily depressed the price. The conspirators therefore wound up their ill starred speculation with a huge loss. In the end, they defaulted on some of their bills at maturity. The bills were coming, they matured, and then they didn't have the funds to pay them. Because they couldn't sell the grain at the price they bought it, only at a much lower price they had to absorb. Now, the consequences of a default on bills is far more serious than default on something else. And it's treated differently. Um, and I remind you that even a loss of cargo on the on this ocean is no excuse for default because uh, the bill market insists on insurance documents being attached to the bill. So in case the cargo is lost, let's see, the insurance company will pay the matu- bill of maturity. So, uh, the, uh, if, if a trader defaults on his bill obligation, which is different from defaulting on a mortgage. Then uh, the market takes it very, very seriously. There is a blacklist and these uh, defaulters will be blacklisted. And interestingly, even their sons or grandsons will not be able to go into business under the, the name of the defaulter. Uh, because they are still on the blacklist. Uh, they will not be trusted. It's not. I don't mean that they will not be able to make a living. I mean that they will not have access to that uh, special privilege of using the bill market to finance circulating capital because they uh, are on the blacklist. So that, this is uh, this is an historical fact, and and uh, I find it interesting that uh, default on the real bill is, was considered so serious an offense that it took generations to live it down before uh, somebody could use the same name, uh, uh, and that's why. In this country as well as Europe, in Europe it's even more so because there's greater history behind, uh, some firms, family firms, which carry the name, family name in the firm's name, are so jealously guarding that the the pristine uh, clarity of that name uh, and there is also this uh, accounting term goodwill goodwill has cash value now this has to do with the uh, the name also if you have a good name it has cash value when you want to retire you can sell your business with the name and that You'll be rewarded that way. But if the history is spotty and there were defaults here and there, then that goodwill could disappear. So that's just, again another topic which I don't want to enter, but I want to emphasize that this is a very serious problem if somebody defaults. So um, merchants try not to default on their maturing bills ever, because the consequences are just too serious. If a merchant defaulted for reasons of personal financial tangles, then he could never again hope to discount a bill in his life, nor could his sons. The name was to remain on the blacklist for several generations. Being cut off from the bill market, meant that the lifeline of the merchant was severed, lifeline. Severed, because without that access to the uh, bill market, to slow this country and so on and so forth, he could finance his inventory uh, at, at a very low rate, thanks to society backing up this operation. But he could be cut off. In case of default, he would be. He'd have to make a living as an accountant. (laughs) Or a banker. banker. (laughs) (laughs) The merchant found himself out of business. This was exactly the fate awaiting the miller and his accomplice, the baker. I I think I we still haven't mentioned the <laughs> Acceptance House, uh, <laughs> it's wonderful, but uh, but it's a consequence of yeah. this, so rather than starting it now, I think we have
3: it's the 3:30. break. Uh, that's your theme for
2: 2.30. Acceptance House?
3: Yeah, well All that's right. the agenda. All right. I'm, I'm sorry. The, re- the revolt of quality. Is, hmm? that, is that what we're on? I'm looking at the agenda, Doctor. Uh, the, the agenda
0: yeah. has been no. upset by several factors. Okay. Marketplace. And uh, therefore, the
3: marketplace. <laughs> Daryl came in yesterday. So if don't you care, would this like to update,
0: that's what I'm planning. Okay. All right, let me tell you what I'm planning. So the acceptance house will be part of the next period, and then I want to talk about borrowing short and lending long in general. So that will be at 2.30 at 2.30 in the afternoon. And uh, 4.30 will be the unadulterated gold standard which was originally scheduled for tomorrow. Now, the last Meet, the meeting of this uh, sequence of lectures is tomorrow and I thought perhaps we keep it a little bit open in the sense that I will take up half of the time and then we should have a discussion on the, gen- on the whole uh, topic of real, and also on the topical nature of this. Why? We are talking about this. This is old hat, goes back to Adam Smith, and so on and so forth. Our adversaries say that this has been refuted a hundred times and so on. But we insist this is topical, this is something we have to talk about because of the crisis we are facing so how? This uh, might just help solving the crisis. That's tomorrow morning, okay? So please be prepared with your questions uh, and and uh, comments tomorrow, because as I say, I want a, a cooperative effort to to round it off, okay? And, uh, some topics were missed, but. They were the ones which I thought were less important. In any case, they are available in printed form and uh, we are working on it to distribute the uh, uh, photocopy today and tomorrow. Okay? Very good, thank you. Thank you.